Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. This is our first new live show of 2019. Yes, we've been on air for the whole month of January with our prediction specials. 2019, we call them predictions on steroids, but this is the first real start of our 2019 live new topic broadcasting season. There you go. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm laughing because our topic today has humor in it. So forgive me. Let me tell you what we're going to talk about today. The buzz on the street is a quote, actually the title of a blog from a gentleman named Lou Carlozo at yeswear.com. And here is the quote, sales isn't a laughing matter, but maybe it should be? Question mark? Okay, that sets us up. So let's talk about this. Good salespeople understand the science behind selling. That's right. I said science. A lot of people think there's an art, but there's also a science. What do you need? The basics. You need an ironclad knowledge of your products if you're in sales and your services. You need to know how to qualify the prospect and their needs. Okay, that's what good salespeople do. What do truly great salespeople do? Aha! They tap into a psychological component of the prospect, or if it's a returning customer. How? By positioning themselves as the most engaging and most likable option and resource. That means people have to like you if they want to talk to you, if they want to buy from you, and maybe most important in our experience economy today, if they are going to trust you. There's that T word. So we have quite the panel today. We have a strategic alliances executive. We have a partnership relationship manager. We have an IT sales rep turned comedian funny guy, and they're all going to make the case that when you use right-timed appropriate humor, and that's a packed phrase, right-timed, at the right time, appropriate, that has a lot of cultural implications in it. As a sales tool, you're going to become one of those truly great salespeople. So learn and laugh with us. Welcome. I'm still laughing because I know this is going to be a great conversation. I will be introducing to you in a moment my esteemed panel. First up, we have John Selig. He spells his last name S-E-L-I-G. And the title, we debated his title, went back and forth a lot, and he told me he wants to be called the guy who makes sales teams funnier. Now, that's a very big business card, but I don't think anybody's using printed cards anymore, John, so we'll, we'll let you have that title. Joining him is R.J. Bibby. He spells his last name B-I-B-B-Y. He's from NetApp, Inc., Global SAP GSI Alliance Officer. He's the one I mentioned in the intro. Welcome, RJ. And rounding out the panel is my good friend and colleague at SAP, Casey Ryan. He's a partner service advisor. Casey has his own radio show. We'll talk about that a little bit. He is connected with all kinds of interesting, creative people all over the world, and he's sharing some of those with me for my personal radio show. And uh, Casey is the one who brought me this topic. He said, let's start off the year with a smile, so why not? So we're calling this episode of Coffee Break with Game Changers, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Sales Pitch. And I think it's 
very, very appropriate. So welcome, gentlemen. And John Seelig, I'm laughing already because you sent me a quote from The Grateful Dead's Scarlet Begonias, written by Jerry Garcia and Robert Hunter. It was released in 1974. The album is from the Mars Hotel. See, I do my homework. And the genre is jam band. And here, you didn't expect this. I know that, John. And here, yeah, I do a lot of lookups on this stuff the night before. And here is the paragraph or the stanza in the song where the line comes in that John is quoting. Let me just set it up. Well, I ain't often right, but I've never been wrong. Seldom turns out the way it does in the song. Here's the quote. Once in a while, you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right. John Seelig, officially welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Delighted. I love the reference to Scarlet Begonias. I thought it sounded familiar. Somebody actually used this exact, exact quote on a show about six months ago in another Game Changer series, and I was happy to bring it back. So tell me, we're talking about sales. We're talking about humor, talking about putting them together the right way. So Mm -hmm. tell me how this quote relates to our topic, please, John. Uh, Firstly, it does not relate to any kind of flashback that any of us have ever had. I just want to put that up front. And... (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. You have to pause for the laugh. As a stand-up, you know, and I'm a stand-up too, you have to wait for the laugh. So I've just given you, you never step on applause and you never step on laughter. Go ahead. No, that's true. I just usually like to look my audience in the eyes to gauge if they're going to do that first. And it's hard under these circumstances, but you're you're 100% right. Um, So the reason why I, I, I suggested that quote is there's two reasons. Number one, I never listen to lyrics at all and I never care I just care about melody and does the song catch my you know is are, are there hooks are there earworms but this is the lyric that that always kind of um, I paid attention to and it mm-hmm. really rings true in both sales and comedy for me I will be working on um, you know a, a bit for stand-up and I'll go up to four or five open mics and I have it in my head exactly how it's supposed to be delivered and they're not laughing and they're not digging it I'll put it down and then one of two things will happen Either I'll uh, come back to it a few months later going through my notebooks and looking at my old jokes. And then sort of you see, sometimes I'll just see a new way to do it. Something might have happened in my life and all, mm-hmm. of, I have a, uh, all of a sudden I have a new way to reframe it. And of course, something that no comedian will ever admit, but they all do, we speak to our peers. And we say, hey, I'm having a problem um, with this little joke or this bit. And comedy jokes and stand-up jokes and bits are, are they're kind of little puzzles. And sometimes uh, one of our peers will say, hey, well, have you thought about presenting it this way or maybe making this facial gesture or inserting these two words or reversing these two words to make it more powerful, um, maybe tacking on some other concepts? So they look at it through a completely different lens, and, and it can help make everything stronger. And, of course, in sales, sometimes um, we think we understand exactly how to position um, a solution or understand exactly what the customer is trying to tell us. And it, it just might take someone else another set of ears on the call to interpret it uh, in a way um, that, that might make maybe more sense to us. Thank you. Very, very interesting. I have to ask you a question, John Seelig. I mentioned in my intro the science of selling. Is there an art equally important to the science? And when you add humor, which we're going to be talking about with you and RJ and Casey for the next hour, when you add humor, is that the artful part of selling? What's your thought? You know what? This is something that I see on LinkedIn quite a bit. I see certain sales influencers and trainers uh, mm-hmm. talk about how you know how they, they spur on this debate. 
And I don't know if it's because they have a firm belief that they're just trying to drive uh, the LinkedIn algorithm to garner attention for themselves. <laughs> but uh, I kind of believe that, that it's both, you know, and that's wishy-washy, and I'm okay with that because, uh, you know, I don't want to be hard and fast on something that I don't really have the full answer to. But I do think that there's two kinds of art within sales, and, you know, connecting with your prospects or your customers is definitely uh, a learned skill that allows you to inject your own creativity and personality into it. I think the end result is scientific. You do have to get them to like and trust you. Uh, it's just a matter of, of how you get there, and, and that's subject to, uh, to artistic whimsy, I guess. Thank you very much. And we'll be getting into the, what I like to refer to as that artful part about the well-timed humor. I think it's very important. And the cultural aspects of humor. I was trained in stand-up, believe it or not. I took I took some lessons for a couple weeks at the American Institute of Comedy in New York City, Steve Rosenfeld, and was on stage at Caroline's making my debut. I'm not telling you how many decades ago. And I know that cultural is so important, even with an audience in a nightclub, John, that you have to relate to them in a way where you are humble, if I can use that word, <laughs> referencing comedy, and also respectful of who it is. And they said, for example, if you have a joke about a tourist bus full of people from X country, fill in the blank, and they're in the audience, it might not be funny. But if you're one of that quote-unquote tribe, it could be very funny because it's about you, not just pointing at them. We'll leave that one on the table for right now, but I'm really looking forward to your thoughts on that. Thank you for opening the show with me. Now let's move just a little bit around the table to R.J. Bibby, and R.J. has sent us a quote, for, and I like this one. It's almost gallows humor. You're hill in a minute. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin, F-R-S, F-R-S-E. I still don't know what those letters after his name mean, RJ. I'll have to figure that out. American polymath and one of the founding fathers of the U.S. He was an author. Get ready. Here's the bio. An author, a printer, a political theorist, a politician, a Freemason, postmaster, scientist, inventor, humorist, civic activist, statesman, and diplomat. He actually founded the first fire department in Philadelphia, and he founded the University of Pennsylvania in his spare time. He invented the lightning rod, bifocals, and the Franklin stove, and it goes on and on. I don't know when this guy ever slept, and he was only 85 years old when he died. So very busy. Here's the quote that R.J. has selected from the vast quotable lore of Ben Franklin. Quote, we must all hang together or assuredly we shall all hang separately. R.J., is this gallows humor? Talk to me and welcome. How are you? Doing fabulous. Thanks for having me. And is this guy the ultimate funny man or what? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting that from you. Go ahead. So, yeah, I think there is a little morbid humor, but, the you know, as I was preparing for this and being a January baby, I, I reflect and then I start the year being a January baby. Uh, you kind of take your uh, uh, New Year's resolutions to another level because you're born in that year. Um, and as I was kind of researching this, I'm thinking, this guy, Ben Franklin, when I saw this quote, he was just the ultimate closer and the ultimate humorist. I mean, especially as I look at this from the Revolutionary War, he's in Paris. He's trying to get favor with, you know, England's rival. Um, So he really used humor in his clothes and his look and the wine and the women and all these things from an art perspective to really circle the wagons of getting uh, uh, people together to believe. There's a lot of empathy. There's a lot of humor. And um, it's timeless. And that's why I thought it was a little appropriate to use a little of the past to go to the future. 
I like that. I was so intrigued in my long list of the long list I read of his accomplishments that it said humorist. I, I guess I, I never thought about Benjamin Franklin as a humorist. Can you imagine having done all that in your lifetime, RJ? How many of us can put even a third of those titles into our bio, into our CV or resume? What do you think? Well, it can make you feel bad because <laughs> I could be accomplishing more. But on the same on the same token, it token it really helps me personally just can kind of strive to be better. And then even like you know we're in this technology business and it's moving so fast, right? Yeah. And and uh, humor can help when we're constantly. John was talking about it from a from a coaching perspective with salespeople. You know, what are the things they can do to take a breath, right? To to relax and and use empathy. And, and read a room, um, and you know who's smiling. What's the culture? And we'll kind of get into all of that corporate culture to use as antidotes to, to build that trust. And when I look back at Ben and, and his accomplishments, certainly from the technology side, I mean, he was on the cutting edge there um, from making life better for people uh, in their mm-hmm. homes, um, using the, the printing press for information and, and, and gaining favor, I might add. So it's almost like the Twitter of the age. Um, so it's funny how things kind of repeat themselves. And he was very funny. Um, not that I'm this big historian, but, you know, he had great anecdotes for the time. And, uh, you know, don't kid yourself, libations were involved. This guy did a lot of his closing uh, in the pubs. So maybe another topic for the future. It, it may be. I was, I was looking at his achievements, RJ, and, and I, I think if you put these together, you've got a story. The lightning rod, okay, keeping people from getting killed in lightning storm. Bifocals, yes, I can see you better near the Franklin stove. Let's stay warm. On the flip side of that, he founded Philadelphia's first fire department because maybe people misused their Franklin stove. He also founded the library company in the University of Pennsylvania so people could get smarter. And I think this all goes together with, with uh, as you said, he impacted people's lives, but there had to be a sense of humor in that somewhere. I've never linked those things together, but thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to Wikipedia for the great bio. And now Casey Ryan is waiting patiently. Casey, I said that about a guest on the show a few weeks ago, and when I brought the man on, he said, how did you no, I'm patient, and I'm not, I'm not going to give you a chance to answer me. Casey has come up with a wonderful quote from Victor Borga. People in my, I'm a boomer, I admit it, I remember Victor Borgia, Borga, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, he was a Danish and American, that's according to Wikipedia, comedian, aha, uh-huh. a conductor and a pianist. He used to appear on TV in ties, Tie and Tales, very formal, he achieved great popularity in the, on radio and TV in the US and Europe. He blended music and comedy, and his nicknames include the Clown Prince of Denmark, the unmelancholy Dane, that says something about the Danes, and the Great Dane. His full name was Borgia Rosenbaum, and he lived from 1909 to 2000. I didn't know he was still alive in 2000. That seems like yesterday. Here's the quote Casey has selected from Victor, and you're going to tell me how to pronounce it, Borgia or Borgia. The quote is, laughter is the shortest distance between two people. Casey Ryan, so happy to have you on the show. How are you? Well, thanks for having me back, Bonnie. It's great to be on with uh, a couple of old friends here, RJ and uh, and John. Nice to catch up with you guys. Thank you. Go ahead. What's the, how's the quote relate? Well, we're talking about laughter and humor and sales. So, how'd you find this quote from Victor? And how do you pronounce it, Borga or Borgia? I I, I was always told it was Borga. Uh, 
you know, him being well, from Denmark, but, but uh, we'll to go me, with that. That, that, that quote resonates with me on a lot of different levels, uh, and it's meant a lot to me professionally, because uh, I think that from a professional humor standpoint, when you're standing up in front of a group of people in kind of a formal setting, there's a lot to be learned uh, from, the, from the kind of humor uh, that Victor Borga had. I mean, he was a man of culture and refinement, but he was amiable and friendly and gave off the impression that he was kind of like a favorite uncle. Uh, he was cultured, but a lot of his humor was slapstick, so it appealed to kids. And he could do it effortlessly in multiple languages. And from a professional humor standpoint, when you're standing up in front of a group of people trying to project an image, I can think of a lot worse examples to follow than that. <laughs> very, very well put. Very interesting. I do vaguely remember seeing him on TV. Have you seen clips? I know you're you're very young, Casey, but have you seen clips of his television performances sitting at the piano oh, my with the... My grandparents used to love him, so uh, my, my, grandfather, <laughs> my grandfather was a... An extremely well-versed pianist, and my my grandfather used to laugh himself silly watching that. He died when I, my grandfather died when I was young, bless his heart. But uh, but I remember sitting there with him as a kid and thinking there was something about this guy that I really really liked, even though I didn't really understand it. But uh, you know, the kids remember him for the phonetic punctuation routine that he used to do, where he used to make the silly noises and and read the story. And uh, he he's uh, he was a fun guy to watch. You remember more than I did, but when I saw the picture, I recognized him right away. Thank you, Casey. We love the quotes that are off the mainstream. You know, we get so many quotes from the usual business leaders, and I love it when we get quotes from people who are not. So thank you very much. Let's get to know our panelists a little bit better. This is our up-close-and-personal portion of the show, and I'm going to circle around to John Selig, guy who makes sales teams funnier, and we're going to ask John three questions. Number one, where are you today? Roughly in the world, we don't need. To, we're not going to stalk you. We don't need the Google coordinates of the roof of your house or your office. What's your favorite drink in the whole world? Because this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. Any drink is fair game, any time of the day or night. And number three, what actually do you do? Go ahead, John. Uh, sure. Uh-huh. So I am located. I am uh, located in my home office in uh, frozen Montreal. Uh, that <laughs> okay. is in the province of Quebec, within the vast frozen wasteland of Canada. Um, so I, uh, my favorite drink, it's, you know, I, I could just be really boring and just say coffee cause I drink like 900 cups a day. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's not interesting or original at all. So, uh, what I'll tell you is that, uh, I had a couple of upstairs neighbors from New Zealand and they recently moved back there and they couldn't use their smoothie mixer anymore because, uh, you know, the power outlets aren't the same. So they just left it for me. They left me this handheld smoothie mixer. So every day now. I'm having a smoothie that's yogurt, banana, um, frozen berries, that kind of stuff. And, and that is the best possible answer. And a little secret tip, uh, throw in some chia seeds for fiber uh, because I'm not as young as I used to be. Ah, okay. I'm finding everything very funny today. I don't know why because that's part of our topic. <laughs> Thank you very much. And what do you do? How do you get to call yourself the guy who makes sales teams funnier? John? Sure. Yeah, so I, I sold technology uh, for 12 years, and it was a really well-paid internship for my career in primarily unpaid stand-up comedy. Uh, I've been performing for eight years. I have some good credits. I've done the uh, the Off JFL Festival, which is kind of like Montreal's local component of the Just for Last Festival. Uh, I've performed on some other festivals. I've even been on the Daily Show. I do clubs, um, but mm. of course, I think a lot as a lot of us might 
may or may not be aware, there's not a ton of money in comedy. And I never got into comedy to be a professional comedian. It's uh, it's kind of like my sport. I do it quite intensively, uh, and I've gotten okay at it, but I just I don't pursue it from that angle. So uh, I've kind of taken my sales background uh, and my comedy background, and I could never have done stand-up comedy had I not been in sales, uh, because I find the parallels are just so striking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I could get into all kinds of details. Maybe we'll, you know, all kinds of reasoning for that, but we'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, and really what I've kind of put my mind to is to show sales teams um, how they can craft humor that will allow them to really connect with their prospects, relate to mm-hmm. them, yes. um, and more conversations, build that like and trust. So really what I offer is a comedy writing for salespeople training and workshop, which, uh, which, which has a sales training at the core. So I get them answering questions about their prospects, problems, um, the risks of not fixing those problems, uh, how they help, all kinds of questions like that. And we, we turn it into, we turn some of that into jokes that can be reused over and over. So that, that's what I do and how I help. Thank you. And I think a couple of key words there in sales and humor are likability, relatability, and trust. Did I hit the top three, or is there something else you want to add? No, you're doing great. Thank, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. By the way, I have to tell you, I, we have a, an avid listener named Mohammed Amer who goes by the handle on Twitter, BizBiz user. Casey may know him from SAP. And Mohammed has t- tweeted, uh, when I quoted your quote from Scarlet Begonias, John, he tweeted, must be open to those moments. And he copied you, he, uh, at, at John Seelig. So just so you know, Mohammed is one of our most avid listeners and tweeters. And we are always very, very happy when he is on Twitter during a live show. So thank you, Mohammed. We are doing a shout out and a big smile and a hug to you. There we go. RJ Bibby, you're up next. RJ, where in the world are you today? What's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? And tell us what you do at NetApp. Sure. So I want to share some warmth. Uh, I am down in Stewart, Florida, which is the uh, suburbs of West Palm Beach. So I'm also a home office. And it is true coastal community living right on the Atlantic Ocean, um, which is lovely. It's, it's, uh, it helps me with my work-life balance for sure. If you can live someplace that you love with the people you love, man, you, can, you do a lot more when you're happier. Uh, so yep. that's where I am mm-hmm. today. Very well put. As far as drinks, you know, I was really thinking about this. I, I may have to stick with my, my, my Ben Franklin libration, libations, but again, maybe because I'm an alliance guy, you do a lot of socializing, um, and then I got two folks from Montreal on the call. It, it's Crown Royal. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, a, a little whiskey on the rocks, especially on the cold days uh, over the weekends, or uh, figuring out an approach to uh, a, a multi-pathway go-to-market. Uh, sometimes helps the creativity and certainly the humor. So RJ, I want to just insert here for a second. I want to just tell yeah. our listeners around the world who may or may not know, Crown Royal is a blended, blended Canadian whiskey owned by Diageo, D-I-A-G-E-O, which purchased the brand when the Seagram's portfolio was dissolved in 2000. It is the top-selling Canadian whiskey in the U.S. It's 80 proof. It was introduced in 1939 in Canada, 1964 in the U.S. and other countries, and the origin country is Canada. How's that for a little sidebar? Are you good? I'll tell you, your, your research department is uncanny. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I know it. 
You are very funny. I'm very quick on the draw with the Google lookups while I'm on the air. I take that compliment hugely. Thank you. Now tell us, what do you do at NetEpic? Go ahead. Absolutely. So NetEp is a global data management company, and we're basically putting data management and protection of data in the cloud. Um, there's a whole, about, a whole lot to that, but what I specifically do is I'm on the partner management side, and what I do is I manage the partnership between NetApp and SAP and the partner ecosystem. So a big part of my job day-to-day is relationships, relationship management, and figuring out how we're going to take the tagline SAP HANA that we all know very well and working with SAP, NetApp, putting SAP in a hybrid cloud, maybe it's Google, maybe it's Azure, and I'm working with a, a systems integrator like an Accenture. So it's really kind of arming, facilitating, herding of cats Mm -hmm. of four partners for one single goal, if you will, on gaining market share. So a lot of the tools that we're discussing today really, really come into the craft of how I do that. Um, You need some creativity. You need humor. uh, You need things that are going to stand out to be at the top of mind with customers with a multi-partner approach to business. Um, So that's basically what I do with a, a lot of words. Thank you very much, and I loved in mm-hmm. your notes you sent me a link to a website called Welcome to Humor Matters, which is actually trademarked together the word Humor Matters by Stephen M. Sultanoff, Ph.D. I thought that was very interesting, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Casey Ryan, you are up, sir. Love to know where are you today? What's your favorite drink? Can't wait for that one, Casey, because you and I know each other off off air, off off uh, professional, and I'd love to know what is it you do these days. Go ahead, Casey. Well, uh, I'm calling you also from my home office. I'm, uh, like uh, John, I'm based in Montreal, but I'm slightly further north of the city in a town called Laval, so it's about 20 minutes north of Montreal. Uh, also, enduring the cold as best I can, but again, you know, typical Canadian winters, you got to live with it if you're going to live up here. Uh, my favorite drink in terms of uh, what I have when I do radio is from David's Tea, so usually I have the strawberry rhubarb tea because it's good on the throat. Uh, and what I do for SAP is uh, I'm a partner relationship manager. So actually, one of the people that I managed for a long time was uh, was RJ when he was working with a previous company. Uh, and I am responsible for making sure that they have all of the tools in their toolkit to uh, to make things uh, successful and, and as happy as they can be from a partnership perspective. Uh, prior to that, I also worked as an AE for 10 years for a couple of different companies, which is where my uh, my career intersected with John's, and that's how I uh, I got to know him. So, Okay. Thank you very, very much. Okay. Did we get your drink? Uh, yeah. David's Tea, Strawberry Rhubarb. Strawberry mm. Rhubarb. What is it about Strawberry Rhubarb? Do you add anything to it? No, it's it, they, they include dried pieces of uh, strawberry and rhubarb with the, the tea, and it forms like a hot drink, and it tastes really good. I like that very much. Is that uh, decaf? I know some herbal teas are. I've got it here. Decaf, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to cut back on the caffeine. I've got it here. I've got a picture of it. It comes in a very, very attractive little silver container, like a canister with a yellow lid on it. Strawberry rhubarb parfait iconic tin. Did you know that? Do you have one of those, Casey? I beg your pardon? Do you have the tin? It's the strawberry yeah, yeah, rhubarb. I, I use it. Sometimes I uh, sometimes they actually sell it with twelve flavors in one box, so you have a little sample of each one, so you can try out the ones that you like. But I do keep going back to that one. 
Wow, it says, love rhubarb and strawberries. Try the sweet and tart caffeine-free infusion. Blends all the bright and juicy flavor of fresh-picked berries with a tart rhubarb punch and a hint of yogurt creaminess, refreshingly fruity. It steeps up a satisfying deep red and is equally amazing hot or iced. Now, that's a beautiful thing. That's some ad. I think there was a little humor in there, if I'm not mistaken, gentlemen. I think somebody had a really good sense of humor and a lot of good writing skills there. You know what? We are not going to take a break because I want to keep going. We've got good energy here and there's no reason. And if you all have something in front of you, water or coffee or your rhubarb tea, Casey, just have a sip because we're just going to keep barreling through here. I want to make sure we get the maximum out of our time. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to change the flow of the show a little bit. I have such great comments from the three of you and you notes before the show. I'm going to pick one from each of you and ask you to just expand it a little. Rather than asking you to react to each other, I want to make sure we get, I'm going to think of this as a primer or a primer, if you will, on using humor in sales. So I'll pick one from John and one from RJ and one from Casey and have you each talk to the world about your statement and then I'll go through and pick another one from each of you and let's see how much we can cover. Is that okay with the three of you? Good with the change of... Okay, yeah, I think that's how I'd like to honor the work you did before the show. So John Seeliger says, at the end of the day, you said, at the end of the day, everyone's in sales, regardless of whether you carry a quarter or not. We all need to influence others, managers, reports, loved ones, and people tend to want to listen to and trust people they like. So why don't you give me a little bit of how that works with sales and humor? It might be a little recap of how we started, but I want to specifically focus on everyone is in sales. Go ahead, John. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to start off with the fact that, uh, you know, we all have so many devices that we stare at all the time between our phones, our iPads, our Kindles, our laptops. Uh, if you're wearing a Fitbit, I mean, we could have as many as five devices going off uh, with notifications, both visual and, you know, with little audio notifications. And that has just, you know, taken our attention span and just crumpled up into a little ball and tossed it in a garbage can. It doesn't even go in the garbage can. Like it's just because it gets distracted on the way there. And mm-hmm. so humans, um, both our sustained attention span, which is our ability to focus in for longer periods of time, um, as well as our focused attention span, which is that, you know, us zoning in intensely. It, it's now like eight seconds. And that's less, of mm-hmm. less than that of a goldfish. So it's harder than ever for salespeople or really anybody who's trying to influence, um, you know, an audience or either online, offline, whatever, uh, or in person, um, it's harder than ever to kind of, you know, get that hook to get them to, to keep, to hold their attention. So we're battling that first and foremost. So the other thing is that, um, you know, 70% of Americans, this is a stat, which I don't know if you've done this research, Bonnie, but it's out there. 70% of Americans uh, are disengaged with their jobs. And I've I, heard that, that doesn't yes. Apply to any, that doesn't apply to anybody on this call or anybody listening to this show. We've bucked those statistical trends. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, but the vast majority of our prospects aren't really thrilled to be at their job. And, of yeah. course, everyone's stressed whether we like our job or not. We're all stressed. So, you know, as salespeople uh, or, or anyone, again, who's speaking to um, an internal team trying to sell them on ideas, I mean, you know, the, the, the guy who puts, or the, the, the person who's putting together the budget, uh, the annual budget in a company, they have to sell the executives on the budget. Everyone's ultimately in sales. And so we need to, again, um, you know, relate, uh, connect, and engage with, with our audience, with our prospects. And when we reach out to our prospects, whether it's a cold call 
or whether they've given us some of their time for uh, a longer demo. Um, they're giving us their time, and we have that opportunity to put a smile on their faces, to make them laugh, and to distract them mm-hmm. from, from the stress and the disengagement. So if we can do that, uh, that, that makes us memorable. And if we could uh, relate to them through humor and you know, connect with them on a level that says that we understand their problems, uh, it's, we're going to go even further by showing that empathy. Thank you very much, John. And the Gallup poll that says 70% of Americans are disengaged goes back to 2013. It was reported in the Huffington Post, and there were all kinds of studies and reports on that Gallup poll all over the web. So anybody looking for that stat, just Google 70% of Americans are disengaged with their jobs, and you will find an awful lot of places, including 10 shocking workplace stats you need to know from Forbes from last year, March 8th, 2018. CBS News did an article on why so many Americans hate their jobs. We'll leave that on the table because it's not funny. RJ Bibby, I'm picking something from your list here. I like this one. You say use humor and let's get into what kind of humor. I want to dive into that. Use humor to keep people's attention at business meetings. Listen more intently to make antidotes to engage the audience and accelerate connections and relationships. Talk to me. How do you use humor at business meetings? Yeah, I know. It's, John really hit on a lot of this, and it really comes down to empathy. And, and the, I think from an antidotes, a lot of times in the room, we're all struggling around the same things. Identifying a problem of a customer, trying to uh, get buy-in from partners and customers and, and what we do as a business that can help them. So, a lot of that I find is one, an antidote on myself, right? Hey, you know, a funny thing happened to me on the way to work. I stepped in a puddle. I spilled coffee on myself. Or, you know, I had to do, uh, a, 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 I only was supposed to have two slides for this. I came with 10, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it, the coaching of kind of making it simpler. Um, and the happy factor is, you know, we're always struggling in our jobs and life is hard. So I think that when you're happy, you smile, it gives you conviction. Um, I think it helps drive a team uh, together when you're, I'm not saying so positive that you're running between the raindrops, but you have passion and conviction in what you're doing. And I think that that drives energy to everybody in the group, to, to that common goal, and, and make it fun. I, I think there's a way to always make things fun. Now, as we go through this, I, I, I also see those people in the room that are just super stiff, and you can't figure mm-hmm. them out. Yep. Um, and that objection, right, and I, I just had one of these myself, and of course, unfortunately was on the phone compared to um, face-to-face, because I think face-to-face, the, 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 the feels of seeing how people read you, the reactions, what they're wearing, how they yes. sit. Very you know, important. But, yeah, so I was on the phone with this gentleman and, and, and try, trying to, you know, the cold call. It's, hey, this is the reason we should partner, right? And trying to show the value. And he was really stiff. And I'm like, man, I can't figure this guy out. I'm looking at his LinkedIn page and, you know, trying to figure out tools. So we ended up getting on, hey, where do you live? He's a guy in D.C. He was a little cold. I was talking about my work-life balance of how much I love living by the water and I can go outside and, you know, my dog can chase squirrels and whatever. So for some reason, that hit a chord. And immediately he went to, man, I just love my cabin and I love working in my cabin. And then, then, then we had like a common area where we finally broke through. 
and it's so much harder on the phone than it is in person. Um, but I think there's such empathy, and you can kind of balance that, right, when uh, it helps just creativity. And uh, for me, it's all about likability. I just love working the people I like, and uh, that's earned. And it's, it's constantly earning and earning the trust. So that's, that's some of the tools I, I, I try and use in, 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 in working with all these different multicultural teams because every, every team's different. SAP has a, a, a very unique culture. NetApp does as well. Microsoft is really different. You know, a, a buttoned-up uh, systems integrator has their, their version of this. But at the end of the day, salespeople are mostly people, per, people persons, if I said that right. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And, yeah, and I think there's, and, and especially Alliance people like myself and Casey, they're, they're very social. I mean, Alliance people know how to, how to throw a social engagement to build teams and trust. And um, I just came back from my 12th field kickoff for SAP, and I'm still working with, within that partner ecosystem, people for 15 years, and it's still about the fun, the trust, how we grow yes. together based on that foundation. Very well put. Thank you. Casey Ryan, you're up next. I'm going to combine two of your statements in your notes to me, Casey, if you don't mind. Number one, you say humor boosts a perceived sense of leadership, making people being able to make people laugh in a positive way, not by embarrassing yourself. That's important because, as John and I both know from stand-up, you are supposed to occasionally embarrass yourself with objections at the audience. Oh, boy, look at that hairdo. Is she serious? Yeah, would you believe how my hair turned out this morning? You diffuse the objection. But that's number one, humor boosts a perceived sense of leadership. And number two, you say laughter diffuses conflict and reduces stress. Casey, can you address both of those, please, briefly? Well, yeah, I I can address, uh, you know, I can pick them off one at a time. But if you can put something forward, and uh, I I remember there was a quote by, uh, I think it was Albert Einstein, who said that uh, if you can't explain something in its simplest terms, then you don't understand it well enough. Uh, and I think to a certain extent that applies in sales. And if you can do that with a little bit of humor mixed in, uh, it lends a little bit of credence to your reputation and to the image that you're projecting because you're standing there from uh, both a position of confidence and restraint. It's a delicate line to walk, but but being able to go out there and say the most using the fewest number of words and, and get a little bit of a laugh, uh, I, I think... Boost your, your sense of confidence in terms of uh, what people think of you when you're standing up there in front of a large group of people. Uh, you know, to the other point about it diffusing stress, again, that, that's also a very delicate line to walk, but uh, if you're in a very tense situation and, and uh, there's a risk of tensions boiling over, a little well-timed good word, uh, even if it's not necessarily about something that's on topic, but just to, you know, bring the mercury down in the room a little bit, uh, also goes a long way, I've found. Thank you very much. I'm circling back around to John Selig. I like this next statement. I love to say, I'm quoting John, sales is stand-up comedy without the two-drink minimum. Is that an original John Selig-ism, John? Admit it, yes or no? Absolutely. Uh, I love it. I love it. uh, Rip off jokes from other people. Now, oh, well, we know about that. Now, question Walk into a room, you're a salesperson, or you're scoping out an opportunity to maybe pitch something. 
How do you know, even with, we've talked about this, all three of you having the eye contact, seeing the body language, not being virtual like the three, four of us are on the phone where we can't see each other, although I have your pictures up here so I can see your smiling faces, sort of, but how do you gauge the temperature of the, shall we say, the funny bone in the room, John? How do you know what the, I'm going to say the word, the ethnicity backgrounds are, whether there's any gender sensitivity, whether there are, you know what I'm talking about. The world has changed. People are identifying as whoever they want to today. There are so many sensitive pain points you could step on unknowingly a minefield. How do you gauge the sense of humor in this, what you call stand-up comedy without the two-drink minimum? Especially because there's no two-drink minimum, people are supposedly stone-cold sober in that room in that conference room or in that audience. So, John, what are some guidelines you would have for our audience in terms of how do you gauge the room before you start being funny? Go ahead. Yeah. There's one thing I want to add, though. Um, I know kind of in the SAP world, there's so much face-to-face stuff, um, but a lot of the, the, the companies I work with, uh, they're, they're, they're inside sales reps. So there is no room, um, but they do need to forge a connection um, and, and this applies to when you're in the, the same room as someone, uh, regardless, you need to forge a connection with the person that you're, you're, you're speaking to on the phone or having a face to face with. So what do you guys have in common? Well, you're both in the same room. Where are you? What's okay. the event? What's the purpose of the event? Is it a, um, an SAP, uh, information session? Are you guys both, um, you know, tied to SAP somehow, or are one of you selling, one of you using SAP? Uh, what, what, what do you guys have in common? Um, you know, are you both from the same city? There's really no need to make jokes about the things um, that, that you sort of underlined. I mean, there's no need to go somewhere that, that could be sensitive. Okay. Um, so you just sort of need to, like, get to know the person really quickly, sum, sum them up. Um, and we can all make snap judgments about why that person is there uh, based on their, their job title, um, their responsibilities, their, their, their seniority. Um, you know, and obviously, again, why are you both in the room together? I mean, to me, that's the most logical place to be able to, to diffuse a situation and get them to like you with some humor. Okay. And what, can you give me an example of how you would use that? Uh, hey, we're all here and it's a Wednesday morning and we all know baseball starting at 3 p.m. I mean, something really neutral like that. How, how much deeper could you go? That would make people say, "Hey, that's a really funny guy. I think I like him already." Any any other other than sports? Is there yep. safe territory? Well, sure. I mean, obviously, if uh, sort of you know, for example, like I'm at a conference. I go to conferences, and I got a network, and I do something that people haven't quite heard of. Um, and it's sort of the same. I view it as cold calling. I used to do uh, cold calling. Uh, I did inside sales. I did field sales, and every person that I shake hands with, I have the opportunity to tell them a joke that demonstrates what I do and how I help. Um, and they've never heard that before. And they'll never hear it again, but it's a great conversation starter. So when I say to them, you know, um, uh, my, my, my 12 years in sales, uh, I sold technology for 12 years and it was a well-paid internship for my career in unpaid stand-up comedy, you know, it tells them what I do and it gets them to smile. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like every time a comedian goes on stage, they will uh, open up with a, with a stock opener that might sound like it's very spontaneous and, and off the cuff, but it's rehearsed, it's crafted, and they've been delivering yes. that, that opening line for quite some time. So there's two ways to go about this. Either you can uh, learn to express yourself 
Um, you know, maybe even take an improv class, which is quite the opposite of what I preach, yes. which is crafting humor. Or you can you can work at actually crafting a good opening line to introduce yourself and to diffuse a situation about different circumstances that you could be in with your prospects. Thank you. Great idea taking an improv class. I did take improv as part of my comedy training in New York. I think I use improv on all of my radio shows, even here, John, business radio. It's a question of being present in the moment. It actually is mindfulness before we were using the term. It's not being distracted, and it's being ready to jump in when, quote, the room needs you, unquote, rather than when it's, hey, hey, I'm here. I'm raising my hand. It's my turn. In improv, it's not your turn. It's when the room needs you, when the conversation needs you. Do you agree with that? Uh, I would. There's, there's one thing I'd like to add, though, to that, which is yeah. improv is always a, you know, improving your way through humor is a bit of a gamble, especially if you're not a yes. trained improv performer. Whereas, yes. let's say, for example, you do improvise a good line and it gets a big laugh. Uh, think about what made them laugh and think about if you can reuse that line and then document it in your, your little notes app on your phone and then try it out on a few more of your prospects. And if it's just making them all laugh, you have your money opener and icebreaker right there. There you go. Two comments for that. Jay Leno was is very well known for trying out new material on open mics all over New York and recording himself on whatever phone or recording device and listening to the feedback from the audience to see what was going to be the next successful joke or bit. And number two, Robin Williams was always thought to be fresh in the moment, new, reacting. No, everything was tried. Everything was prepared, rehearsed, and he knew exactly. He just knew when to pull that joke, that story, that that bit, that anecdote, into a room and make it sound fresh. So there's just two remarks there. I do follow comedy a little bit. Thank you, John. RJ, let's talk about the website you mentioned that I was so pleased. Stephen M. Sultanoff, PhDs, Welcome to Humor Matters. And I'm going to pull up this quote. You quoted him. I'd like you to respond to this. Humor has three primary impacts, cognitive, emotional, and physiological. You want to just give us a little of your ideas on that, please, RJ? Sure. Yeah. When I I really like the uh, the, the the doctor's uh, view. I went to. Oh my God! Should I lay on a couch here? And uh, <laughs> how is this helping me? You know, sell the, the the product or offering that I'm trying to to um, sell. But I think it does put things into almost buckets, if you will. Kind of. You know, what is the stuff that I'm able to from a humor aspect in my value proposition? How are people? Consuming that, are they understanding it? Uh, you know, to John and Casey's point, in this 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 device-driven world in attention spans, um, I think that the anecdotal view of what you're trying to do in your approach definitely just kind of keeps the room longer. Um, mm-hmm. I love the fact that I'm always trying to connect on an emotional level with people. Um, happy, sad, uh, keep politics aside. Um, so th- those are some of the things that I thought that I thought was pretty pretty just to kind of take it from a science verse um, the the artistic approach to this. 
And then, you know, as we were talking here, I was even looking, kind of taking some notes and things that I, I, I try and do and things that I see um, out there. So, you know, we talked about the quotes at the beginning of the, mm-hmm. of the session. So a lot of times when I'm presenting or I see people present, I think pictures bring an emotional uh, connection when people are talking. So in a lot of the slides when I'm presenting, I can't stand forever slides, less words, more simple. Um, mm-hmm. You know, having this quote now with the Ben Franklin picture, maybe it's a picture, and then it starts to kind of bring that cognitive, emotional uh, uh, attention, right? I'm trying to do two things. Drive attention, kind of the lean in, and then the empathy. How do I gain more trust? Um, and it's everything. So if I'm at a conference which I do a lot as well, and we're in Vegas, you know, maybe there's something that I'll put on the slide, a picture at the last event, or if there's an antidote or funny, not even to the specific people in the room, mm-hmm. but maybe it's around the program that we're doing together. Um, you know, the, the, the war stories of man, you know, trying to get X company to respond and bring their people and be creative. Gosh, you know, they're always late. Um, if, if there's way to bring kind of that funny antidote saying, you know what, this person gets it. They're doing, they're going through the same trials I am. And I think that's how I looked at that quote in, in this different scientific meets art meets emotional stuff that we're constantly doing in our business lives. Thank you very much. Very, very appropriate. Guess what, gentlemen? I've been having so much fun, I forgot to look at the clock. It's 52 after. We have to end before the clock. It's 58. So I'm not going to go back to John to start the predictions round. I'm going to start with Casey, who's up next. And Casey, if you want to bring in another one of your talking points into your prediction, I'd love to know what you think will be happening with humor and sales between now and, let's say, 2025 or as soon as five minutes after we're off the show. You say in a business setting Know where the lines of acceptable humor are. Don't be afraid to walk right up to the edge, but never cross them. So why don't you do a little prediction, if you're so inclined, Casey Ryan, about where these lines might be in the next five years. What do you think? Well, I, I think that, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but we all touched on it, and uh, you know, we can look to the example of the SAP field kickoff, uh, you know, RJ was there, uh, that experience is king, and, and this is something that, that people are going to be investing more and more heavily in. Uh, so it's not just about what you're buying, but how you're buying it, and, and mm-hmm. people are going to be looking to that. And there's examples of that pretty much across any industry that, that you could possibly think of. When I was on your show a couple of weeks ago to offer my prediction, I was talking about the streaming services for movies. Um, so... There really needs to be a, a new level setting in terms of how people are actually going out and making purchases. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's where the needle is going at this point. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I like where that needle is going. All right, uh, John Selig, you're up next. I have 60 seconds with your name on them for a prediction. What do you see coming down the road, up the pike, up the pike, down the road, wherever, whichever direction you want? John Selig, predict. Go ahead, sure. please. So I think over the last like seven to ten years. Um, with so many niche ideas being funded, and especially in the technology space, uh, there's more you know, funded ideas than there are qualified salespeople in America. So there's so many young salespeople out there who, who have, you know, don't really get the training they need. Uh, they've gone into sales by accident. And what's happened is um, mm-hmm. they're being asked to really ramp up activity to educate the marketplace on what their company does. And what that's meant is, loads an overwhelming amount of cold email and cold calls and basically people 
throwing stuff against the wall, hoping it sticks. I think yeah. actually, and, and there's all kinds of tech automation that's accelerated this, and it's gotten a little nuts. My prediction is we're going to go retro with sales over the next few years and get smarter about how we actually engage our prospects using both our voices um, as well as video technology. So rehumanizing the sales process, I think, is something that's going to separate uh, some players from the ones who are just using mass email blasts you know, that are depersonalized and dehumanizing and overwhelming to prospects. I love it. What a great prediction. Thank you, John. RJ Bibby, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. That's all we've got. What do you see coming down the road up the pike? Sure. This is the power finish. So it's all about the user experience. Um, All we're here in the marketplace is user experience, social, digital, and the data. And people are really cognizant of that. So I, I completely agree with John. The more video, in-person, pictures, everything's visual now. And that visual and where you are and what you buy, all that data is, is really driving decisions in the marketplace and is going to continue to do that well into 2025. It's going to be really cool to see what that's going to look like then. And at the heart of it is still humor. Humor, happy, kumbaya, always wins. And I think that it's going to get even more artistic and more scientific in that process of using the humor aspect, the funny, the antidote to enhance the user experience for all of us as consumers. And that's what companies are looking for. And you're going to see more and more algorithms behind that as we go. So who knows, maybe there'll be a, some type of scientific funny that's going to come out of this uh, in the next few years. I think there will. We're just about out of time. Actually, we are. I can't thank the three of you enough. I, I was taking notes and tweeting my tootsies off here. Mohammed has been following, and uh, I think RJ's been tweeting, and John and Casey. Thank you all so much. It's been such a joy. I'm going to make an announcement right now. I'm inviting the three of you back for part two in the spring. Let's gear it for something like April. Or May, Casey, you want to get the posse back together? I would like to do part two, and we'll build off of where we are right now on this topic. Thank you to Aaron Keller. I know Aaron was having trouble engineering and not laughing all the time, but he does a great job. Here's my call to action before we get kicked off the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for listening to our first, after the predictions, first real topic show of 2019 here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. And a shout-out to our loyal listeners all over the world. You make us successful. Here's my call to action at last. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like John Seelig, our funny guy, just like RJ Bibby at NetApp, and just like Casey Ryan, broadcaster and my colleague at SAP. Have a great day, everyone. I'll be back 2 p.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel with a new episode of Predictive Machine Learning. You don't want to miss it. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.